1: I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive? This podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through—from hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more. If you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. Today, I have a contributing editor at Men's Health Magazine, a columnist for Outside Magazine, and professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. His work has appeared in more than 60 countries and can also be found in Men's Journal, New York, Vice, Scientific American, Esquire, and others. He lives in Las Vegas on the edge of the desert with his wife and their two dogs. Uh, Michael Easter, thank you for coming to the show. Thanks for having me. Thanks for giving the dogs a shout out as well.: It's important.: <laughs> Yes, dogs are important, especially here in America, otherwise they're eaten in other countries. Um, do you go by Mike, Michael? Mr. Easter? Michael: Mr. Bunny?
0: Definitely not. Uh, Mr. Easter. Michael's great. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: Michael, all right, buddy. Um, great having you here. Uh, I know that we share the same editor and the same publishers, and that's how we were connected, and yeah. uh, good stuff. Um, first and foremost, you know, what kind of dogs do you have? I have a German short hair pointer. He's, okay. he's massive
0: for the breed. He's like 90, yeah. hundred pounds. Oh, and then wow. we have some sort of lab uh, pit bull mix and oh. uh, they are the best friends that ever lived. They are inseparable. So it's good to have them That's around. That's
1: cool. Yeah. I've got, I've got two myself. One's a golden doodle and the other one's a labradoodle. One's really playful. The other one just doesn't want to play. So you got one that's always messing with the one and the other one is always growling at the one that wants to play. So <laughs> Sounds it's interesting. Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> nice. The,
1: um, so as far as writing, you know, how long have you been kind of writing and, and perfecting your craft?
0: Oh man. Um, about since college. Um, when I was in college, I studied environmental science and basically economics. I thought I was going to be uh, an oil baron or something. I wanted to get into natural resources. And then I took a writing class and it was just like, oh, no, this is it. You know, so I went to journalism school and had just been doing it ever since.
1: So that was about 15 years ago or something. Oh, wow. Okay, so you've been hitting it, and obviously through your bio, you know you've written for a lot of popular magazines that most people have heard of or either read or seen. Um, and the reason you're here today is because of your new book, "The Comfort Crisis." Yes, sir. Yeah. So, how's that been going? Tell me all about the uh, book and the sales, and how's it been? How's it been treating you?
0: Yeah, it's good. The book is basically about how, as the world has become a lot more comfortable a lot easier in a lot of ways, removed a lot of challenge in our lives. We've lost a lot of things that uh, make us healthy and yeah. uh, happy. And sort of by reinserting certain forms of discomfort into your life, you can sort of take back your health, your happiness, etc. And so far it's been going well. Um, seems to be resonating with people. I think a lot of people you know, there's this sort of idea. Um, I think people intuitively know that anything that really improves humans, um, it's not always easy, right? Right. Uh, whether that's exercise, diet, improving a relationship, whatever it might be. But I th- I think people have been surprised to see how comfortable the world has become in a lot of different ways and how really the science of why we thrive off of challenge. I think people have this idea in the back of their head and I'm sort of bringing um, a lot of the science and a lot of the rationale to it where they're like, oh, this now I understand
1: it, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about I, I agree, I think people I mean, we've been kind of forced to get comfortable, right, for the past year plus mm-hmm. year and a half. I mean, uh, we're just now kind of coming out of this pandemic and, uh, you know, a lot of great quotes, you know, especially from the SEAL community as it relates, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable is kind of a common theme. Yeah. Um, but I guess the question is uh, wh- why is it so easy to get comfortable? Well, how, why do we, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it, we know that challenging ourselves is a good thing and we need to be able to, you know, increase mentally, emotionally, physically, and all those places. But how do we, how do, how do we end up in that state? Just very you know, simple for 2.5 million years of human
0: evolution life was challenging, our environments were tough. Everything to survive took effort, right? Mm-hmm. So if you could try and do the easiest thing, if you could try and do the most comfortable thing, that would keep you alive. Think of things like avoiding exercise. You would never move if you didn't have to cuz you're just burning energy that's hard to come by. Things like food, if you came upon it, you'd try and overeat it cuz we want to get fat to have those resources for when the next hard thing, the next, you know, lean times came. Avoiding the weather, avoiding temperature swings, all this stuff, these this drive for comfort we have, it used to keep us alive for basically all of time. Yeah. Until we our environments switch to those of comfort because we, you know, the industrial revolution happens. We start to make life easier, more effortless, uh, because it makes sense from an evolutionary perspective. Right. But now um, life has become so easy and comfortable that we've sort of become victims of our success in a lot of ways. So think about how we've engineered movement basically completely out of our days. Like a lot of people could take a thousand steps and survive if they wanted to now. Right. <laughs> yeah. you know? If you want food, there's like a million different options and it's, yeah, this it's delivered and to your palatable. front door yeah. Yeah, delivered. You don't have to work for it or anything. For work, we sit behind desks, you know, and this is all great. I mean, you know, we're surviving, right. But are we Mm -hmm. really thriving? So you start to see a lot of problems with this and things like the obesity rate, um, chronic disease rates, uh, even things like the, the mental health crisis we're having. You can, you can tie this to the fact that people aren't challenged in fundamental ways that teach them something about themselves.
1: Yeah, no, I, I've got a question. Do you have you watched uh, the series Alone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so in what you're saying, and it, for those of you that haven't watched Alone, you should. I mean, it's a, it's basically taking different contestants and they place them in these very, uh, you know, extreme environments. Um, each season is a different location, and when they show up to their site, there's literally a big pelican case full of camera equipment, and that's it. And then they have to, and then they get to take 10 different survival tools. Um, and, and then they're on their own and the strongest wins. So whoever stays the longest wins, there's no set timeline, nothing. It's just day one. You've got your 10 tools. You have your camera equipment. I'm guessing the producers and people probably give them a list of things they have to do every day so that they have plenty of content to create a TV show. But, um, they literally are, you know, they build their shelters, they get their fire going, they st- and then they start getting food. And what, y- what you said resonated so much about we try to burn less calories and do the, the path of least resistance so that we can then survive, which is interesting because that's exactly how the show ends up every single time. Where people are trying to save calories, sit around and do nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they can just last one more day on the four berries and the one fish they caught. And then yes. they do it again the next day. They sit around and they eat that one fish and the four berries just so they, but they're playing a game and they're, they're not really... I mean, true survival means you're looking for help. You're trying to get rescued. There's other things going on with them. They're just trying to survive each day, which means they're just being lazy (laughs) because they don't want to burn the extra calories, right? I mean, it almost goes hand in hand with what you were saying. Exactly. Well, think of exercise.
0: Exercise is this thing that we made up, right? Like exercise didn't exist until like a hundred years ago, when all of a sudden people are like oh, we seem to have these health problems that are tied from the fact that like our lives no longer force us to move. And we got to figure out a way to do this now. So we invent gyms and treadmills and stuff like that to get it back into our lives. But for nearly all of time, exercise didn't make a lick of sense.
1: You know? Yeah, no. I, yeah, you're, you're right. You, you Well, and back then you were having to actually work, physically work each day yeah, in order to survive, you know, and it's kind of where this homesteading phenomena has become so popular and people th- have this, this dreamy idea that I'm going to buy a piece of land and we're going to have a cabin and I'm going to grow some vegetables and I'm going to raise some goats and it's going to be easy. I'm not even gonna have to go to the grocery store, but the reality is, is no, you got to work your ass off. Like yeah. there isn't a minute that goes by on a homestead or a small farm that you're not having to you know, do something because if you let one thing fall behind, then you're done. Right. And so, but, but going back to what you're saying, yeah, we didn't need to exercise because you're too busy working your ass off to create the food or, or, or maintain the environment in which you live in and things have just gotten a lot easier now with, uh, food being delivered. And, you know, let's face it, our homes don't require too much because technology has improved so much that, you know, you're not having to maintain the fence line because exactly. fence lines are usually done right the first time. <laughs> no, right. You know, you just have a swimming pool now that you have to maintain.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, I definitely so as part of the book, I spent uh, um, more than the month up in the Arctic. And I was with a couple guys, and you know, we we packed in food, but we could only pack in so much, and we're packing in like these mountain house meals. You know, yeah. Um, but even then, it's it wasn't enough calories. So like you know, after a couple of weeks, I'm like dumping weight. Like I'm not moving unless I absolutely have to, I'm just going to sit here, (laughs) you know, like, and your body, you know, we have these mechanisms too, that once people start to lose a lot of weight, our metabolism slows down, we are less motivated to to move. Uh, even our core temperature will drop as a way to save energy.
1: Yeah, no, I it's uh it's an amazing phenomenon that happens just pure laziness and it's uh and I find it interesting that especially here in the US you got more people plagued with laziness than than the coronavirus, right? I mean, uh, especially if you get a check in the mail every week, right? Yeah. <laughs> totally. But uh so what is your remedy to this comfort crisis? Do you have a a quick kind of routine or um, prescription for listeners or how do, how do you kind of get it, get rid of it? You're listening to can you survive this podcast? Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe rate and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that, um, I think that people have to understand that like our environments have changed so much that there's not like one silver bullet, unfortunately. I mean, I think that we, you know, I mean, take exercise. Um, we've even tried to make that as comfortable as possible. You know, you go into the gym and you you get on the elliptical and you turn on dog, the bounty hunter and you zone out, you know, but if <laughs> yeah. you look at how, uh, you know, humans are, uh, adapted to exercise, we basically, um, the, we're built the way we are for, for two things, because we can run long distances in the heat. So we would use that to do this thing called persistence hunting as we evolve, chase down prey until it would essentially topple over from heat exhaustion. Then we'd spear it, and then we'd carry it back to camp. So that's the second thing that we're really well adapted for is carrying weight long distances. No other animals can do that. Uh, a lot of people jog, right? But how many people just like pick up heavy stuff and, and carry it for work? I would argue and I do in the book that the only people who do that are guys like you <laughs> special forces soldiers, right? You probably had to do a lot of rucking as part of training. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about the benefits of rucking. Now, I think, you know, in the military, they weigh you guys down with like way too much weight. So it becomes destructive.
1: Yeah. no doubt. But,
0: but at lower loads, it's a fantastic way to exercise because at lower loads, the injury rate is basically the same as walking super low, super approachable. Um, and you're getting cardio and strength. And so it tends to be like, especially good, um, for women cause it also improves bone density, which becomes a problem. So, I mean, I think that inserting something like rucking into your life can be a good way to sort of take back your health. Uh, you're going to take a lot of things off. I think that, uh, <laughs> rediscovering boredom is good too. So I talk about, uh, you know, boredom was this evolutionary discomfort that basically told us, hey, whatever you're doing right now, you're not getting a good return on your time invested. So you got to go do something else. Well, nowadays we have screens and phones and computers. And so the average person is spending more than 11 hours a day engaged with digital media. So it's like whenever we feel this discomfort of boredom, we have this really easy mindless escape from it. Whereas in the past it was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go do something productive, right? Mm-hmm. So I sort of make the case that I think we should try and re boredom back into our life by just totally disconnecting from phones and screens for, you know, 20 minutes a day, take a walk outside because the benefits are that it gives your brain a rest um, when you're focusing outwardly, like on a screen your brain's actually working really hard and not having this downtime where you're focused inwardly. Um, it's associated with a lot of mental health problems like burnout, anxiety, et cetera. Um, the other thing is that boredom is also associated with increased creativity, like crazy amounts of it. So you think about today's economy, we're more in an idea economy than we are like a farming economy, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if, yeah. You can, if you can find a way to come up with more, better ideas, that's going to benefit you, uh, in life and at work. Um, it, even things like, you know, when you look at diet culture in the U S today, so every like 70% of the country is either overweight or obese. And people are basically told like, you know, eat this, not that. Cause this one food is evil, but the, this other one is good. So things like low carb, right? It's like carbs are the enemy or low fat fat is the enemy, mm. but really all these diets work. If you follow them. And so then the question is, well, we're all overweight. Well, why the hell can't we follow them? It's because we eventually start to get hungry and we can't persist against the, this discomfort of hunger, right? So I like advocate, you need to have times of like extended hunger where you realize like, it's really not that bad. Like people just feel a little bit of hunger and they're like, oh my God, I have to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sort of backfires over time. So, I mean, on and on and on, I identify a bunch of different ways, but I think those are a yeah. few that kind of give you a taste.
1: Yeah. I think that's good stuff. And then the hunger thing, I don't, I don't know that people actually even let themselves get hungry anymore, right? Dude, they just, no, they skip straight to, oh, yeah, I got to eat a snack. Then I'm going to eat my, eat my meal. Then I'm going to eat some more snacks. I'm going to eat another meal. <laughs> so yeah, So They just eat all day.
0: You're absolutely yeah. right. There's this really <laughs> interesting study I found. And it basically found that only 20% of eating today is driven by real hunger. I mean, it's people eat because it's, oh, it's 9 a.m. That's when I eat breakfast, you know, or (laughs) I'm stressed out from work or whatever it might be.
1: So, wow. Yeah. Um, Okay. So going back to your little trek, you did 21,000 miles of traveling in what, roughly 30 days. So what places did you hit during that time?
0: Yeah, so the the twenty one thousand miles was kind of around the world after the uh, Arctic, but I went to Bhutan, went to Iceland, did a lot of stuff stateside too. I was in Austin for a little bit. I was in uh, went up to Boston, all those universities up there. <laughs> went to see the nerds, talk to them about science, you know. <laughs> yeah, a um, little bit of time in Thailand,
1: so. All right. So yeah, you kind of hit everything. And that was all in uh, preparation for the book or was that after the book or?
0: Yeah. So that was all just, uh, reporting the book. So I did the, the, you know, month in the Arctic and that sort of, you know, opened up this question of like, I get back from that trip where, you know, life up there was uncomfortable. Everything took effort, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. We're having to carry everything on our back. Um, weather's gnarly. It's freezing cold the whole time. And, but I get back and like, I had lost 10 pounds. I was like fitter than I'd ever been. Uh, but I also felt like just better. You know what I mean? Like I had a new perspective on life. I had more appreciation for things. Cause I've been removed from all this amazing stuff we have in our life that we can just take for granted. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to know, like, what, what are some of the, the benefits of rediscovering discomfort. And so that set in motion all these trips to go learn from people who were each sort of identifying unique things that we should do in order to improve our lives
1: more or less. Got it. Yeah. That sounds like a great experience. And then, uh, obviously putting everything into a book so everyone else can, uh, learn from it without actually having to go to the Arctic. Now, <laughs> yeah. what was your favorite, what was your favorite piece of gear? That you had with you up there, that you found like, wow, this actually turned out to be the best damn thing.
0: Probably my stove, so we could eat. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, Kafaru teepee was pretty sick. Um, ha- are you familiar with with them? It's a uh, no, no. so we didn't bring tents. We brought um, there's this brand called Kafaru. They make some. Uh, they make a lot of hunting gear. Uh, they're based out of Colorado and it's a teepee. So super lightweight, packable. Um, but it was huge. It was like a 20 by 20 footprint more or less. Now the benefits of it are that super high roof. So you can stand in it to fit three dudes in there and, um, no floor, which means you don't have to take your boots off when you go in and out, you know, which was actually a lot more convenient over time. So I love that thing. And it, um, we got in one situation where, we got some pretty gnarly wind. Um, we weren't sure if it was going to hold cause obviously with all that surface area, it's a little sketchy, but, uh, we were able to take it down and it
1: held. Gotcha. Now, so enough space in there where you got three of you and then you have a fire. How are you staying warm?
0: We have this little, um, stove that's collapsible. I mean, it collapses into this little rectangle. It's made yeah. of tin. And it also comes with like this chimney that goes up through the teepee. I mean, it's a pretty wicked setup and it's super light. And uh, you got to be careful though. Cause at one point, I mean, that gets so hot, right. That, right. That, <laughs> that like chimney <laughs> shoot, I like reached over to get something. Um, and I just burned my down, down jacket, just melted the side and we had to duct tape it up. So that kind of, that was a
1: nice little learning experience. Like, Oh, that thing is red hot. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I hadn't heard about that. Um, then what was your, uh, so footwear, what would you find? What'd you find out there? Did you like what you brought? Cause I know in, some, in that environment, you can, you can take what you think is good and then turn it out and be like, holy crap, that didn't work out very well.
0: Yeah. So I went with a guy named, uh, Donnie Vincent and he's this backcountry bow hunter and, and filmmaker. And he's, he spent a lot of, spent a lot of time in pretty crazy remote areas. And, he swears by this brand called Hanwag he's tried a lot of different boots and he just put me in touch with them and was like dude get these so they were my boots were rated down to uh negative 40 and uh, I still have my toes what else can you say for for (laughs) a boot you know that you still have your toes but I also I mean no break-in period which was pretty nice um I mean I you know I tried to break them in before I went but even just like walking around my neighborhood with a rock a bunch i like never got a blister or anything so they're pretty they're pretty sweet and what's that brand again hanwag Hanwag. and it's um yeah there's another one that loa have you heard of that brand oh yeah yeah so um the two got they're brothers basically one of them did hanwag one of them did loa and so they're very kind of similar similar setups yeah
1: gotcha we will be right back after the break I love, I love hearing about like, not just the experiences, but you know, okay, what was the gear? Okay. What was the piece of gear that didn't work? Is there anything (laughs) you took that you're like, Oh, this is a, this, this didn't work out very well. It was a piece of shit.
0: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, I, like I brought a camera that, um, you know, like a real
1: camera, I shouldn't have brought that. (laughs) Like
0: it was just such a pain and it just weighed me down. And like, I didn't, you know, just even getting it out was a pain that I just, I wish I would have left that at home, but Uh, I'll also say that, you know, I'm up there as a journalist and there is a uh brand of notebook called Write in the Rain that allows you to write, you know, even if it's raining, if the thing gets wet, it won't the ink won't smear, um, that kind of thing. So I used a lot of those. I brought like eight of those little notebooks up with me. And I would get it with uh, you can get different colored uh flaps on them, you know, mm-hmm. covers. And I would get orange so I could find it in the pack pretty easy because you know, a lot of my job would be having to like take a note really quick, you know? And for pens, I would use um, Fisher space pens because, you know, I don't have to worry about them not writing. So I just brought a bunch of those
1: as well. Yeah. See, that's good gear. Good tips. Um, Okay. So turning back to comfort crisis, the comfort crisis. Uh, I guess, you know, you already mentioned, you know, having discomfort is a good thing. Right, because it makes you appreciate what you got going on. It relieves tension, um, prevents the burnout. Uh, it lowers risk of different diseases and kind of keeps you healthy. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so what is the what's the I guess the most uncomfortable thing that you experienced through all this that really kind of I mean, you got the cold, right? Yeah. Was there other things on top of that you started to realize? I mean, you had hunger and cold, but was there any of those? unknowns that all of a sudden there was a big spotlight on it
0: yeah i think that there is a couple um i mean one of them is just you know one night one evening i guess we've gotten pretty far from camp and um the tundra if you if you've been up in the arctic it is terrible to walk on i mean it is just it's like kind of mucky and soft in some areas it's covered in these things called tundra tussocks which are these kind of basketball sized um balls of this dense grass more or less so it's like you can either step in this soft stuff that you know sucks your energy away or you can you know try and rough it on these like basketball shaped things and hope you don't roll an ankle so <laughs> you know it's like a mile out there it feels like five on you know
1: a normal sidewalk or whatever it's equivalent and- to trying just to compare to people I haven't. it's like soft sand right yeah 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 soft yeah. sand like your, everything sinks and all your energy is sucked out in every step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. You know that, um, we got relative cause we were, um, up there hunting and we had, uh, followed this herd of caribou and they skunked us, but then we're pretty far from camp and we had to, you know, make it back, make it back to camp. And we were pretty far away. And I mean, I was like spent at the outset of this return. And I mean, I didn't want to keep going. I was like, Oh my God, this is terrible. You know, but then you have this epiphany. It's like up there, you can't quit. You know, I mean, it was like we had started the day and it was like negative 20 when we started that day Damn. and it was going to be that cold overnight. So it's like, if I were to just call it quits, I mean, you freeze out there. Right. So it was kind of like this. Oh, not to mention a rescue plane can't land anywhere near where we were. So, I mean, there was literally no option, but to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So I think it's like, you're marrying the physical with also the psychological like oh <laughs> right which um you know you mentioned alone before and i do feel like the rate limiting step for a lot of the people in that show they might have a billion different skills they might be the best at making shelters in their backyard but they get up there and they just flip out because yeah. there's so many different stresses that get thrown at you that you simply cannot really train for if you're just doing stuff at home, you know? And um, I mean, I definitely learned that for sure. Yeah. And then I would say, I would say the other thing is hunting. I'd never hunted before. And so this isn't a physical thing, but this is an emotional thing, right? It's like I didn't want to, I didn't really want to cross that barrier. What I, you know, what I presumed would be a pretty heavy barrier. Um, but I did. And it was definitely hard at first. But then I kind of had this realization as we were breaking the animal down was like, man, you eat meat, like every single day and never <laughs> yeah. before have you like gotten sort of been out of shape, upset about that, but here you are now and you're, you know, feeling something. It's like, well, what's up with that? So, um, definitely made me appreciate, you know, the meat we had, the meat that we have easy access to now and right. sort of give me more appreciation for that.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We see it, the post-processed version, you know, and it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you don't see the actual living animal. Um, but it is amazing how you know, most of your hunters out there, the really experienced ones, they will use that animal from, from its, its nose to its tail, every aspect of it, it gets used. Nothing is wasted. And that's, yeah. uh, that's the part that amazes me. It's not just the meat. I mean, it's like, every aspect of that animal gets used in some form or fashion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We took everything uh, that we could. The only thing we left, uh, I mean, we even took the rib cages. The only thing we left is the spinal column and uh, the innards, which we just left for animals out there. Cause I mean, it's hard for hard living out there. So like, you know, the next day, um, there were Ravens everywhere. We saw a grizzly on the kill who was, you know, eating the stuff
1: that we left behind. So yeah. Well, it's important to separate the innards from the meat as quickly as possible. I think that's field yeah. dress, that's the field dressing 101. Um, wow. That's yeah, it sounds like a great great a great adventure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely was. <You> know? <laughs> what I what I think's funny is most people look at like a TV show like Alone or even going and doing what you did and it's once again, it's like with the homesteading stuff, it sounds romantic almost like it's uh, it's this fantasy and adventure all combined together and and then once you actually get in it you're like wait a minute this isn't exactly what i thought it was gonna be like <laughs> there's yeah. a little bit more to it right this
0: is slightly harder than my job as an accountant was <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. oh man all right um so the book it's been out what for it's been a couple of months now yeah a couple of months now yeah. Uh, so where can people find it?
0: Uh, anywhere books are sold. It's on Amazon. It's at Barnes and Noble. It's you just Google the comfort
1: crisis and you'll have options there. And what are there? Are you working on another project or what do you got going on now?
0: Yeah, I'm going to start working on another project. I actually have to go um, down into the Bolivian Amazon for a while in a couple weeks for another project and book project I'm working on. So that should be an adventure. It'll be a little warmer down there
1: though, which would be nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A little more humid too. Um, all right. Well, because you like adventures and, uh, you know, the world of survival kind of sorta we've got our hypothetical scenario for you. All right. Okay. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Can you survive this podcast?
0: Uh, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. Let's (laughs) let's go. Let's go for it.
1: We will be right back after the break. Okay. So for this scenario, you've, uh, you're taking a trip to a cabin in the woods to get some in- inspiration for your next book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cabin's really nice. All right. Um, but the woods are spooky, like woods are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're alone. All right. Uh, so you've been working at the cabin for a couple of days now um you wake up one morning and decide that you're going to take a little walk all right and uh so there's a little bit of detail here you kind of like kind of track a little bit in your mind or you can write it down the woods are uh are south of the cabin uh and the entrance to the forest is about 50 feet from your cabin okay Uh. you start your walk you start your walk uh towards the entrance. Uh, and you realize you've left your cell phone charger in the cabin, okay? Mm-hmm. So, first question: Do you continue walking to find inspiration for your next book, or B, do you go back and grab your uh, grab your cell phone from the charger before you proceed? Um, I'm gonna it see. goes against a little bit about what you write, but also it does.
0: It does. But I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bring that. But you know what yeah. I what I do is I I turn it off though. That way I. You have go. it just in case and uh but I'm also not annoyed by it if I'm not in a treacherous scenario.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like that. It's the happy medium. And I believe this scenario, I'm pretty sure as we go through it, um a really uh, we this is we're putting you up against an author that uh we've had on. I don't think his episode has come out yet, but uh for uh Jack Carr. Are you familiar okay. with with Jack's uh, work? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of the same uh, scenario, so we'll see if you do better than Jack. Um, um, okay, so yeah, B. B is correct. Um, you go back to the cabin and uh, you grab your cell phone. Good idea. Because, um, you know, being alone in the woods, yes, it's scary. And uh, you might get far from home and you might need uh, help in some form or fashion because we know, uh, you know, a broken ankle, man. That can uh, that can change the dynamics of everything, and so mm-hmm. having having nine one one might be helpful. Um, so you walk south for a while. The forest is uh, is beautiful. You kind of lose track of time, um, but you're pretty far from the cabin now. Suddenly, you slip on a rock, tumble down a hill. Uh, you hit your head, mm-hmm. and you're almost knocked out. You see stars, but that's about it. So you're still conscious, which is good. Okay. Uh, you come to your senses and now the sun is nearly gone and it's getting dark fast. Especially in a forest, right? It's always dark mm-hmm. in the forest. Yeah. Um, so you turn on your trusty cell phone and it has no service. Do you, A, start sprinting back towards the direction you came from or, B, collect some supplies and prepare to hunker down for the night?
0: Well, if I am disoriented... I am going to say that sprinting in the woods may lead to being clotheslined by a tree. So I am going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with B if I don't have service. B.
1: Yeah, correct. And, and uh you are correct and I was wrong. Now that I've read this second one, now I go oh wait, this is not Jack carr's scenario. <laughs> okay, so scrap that whole part. You're just going on this alone. You're not gonna be competing against any other prior guests. Okay. Uh, no. Um oh yes. So yeah, collect supplies and prepare to hunker down. I mean a head injury is a head injury, right? And uh you know, it's not a good idea to uh trust your senses or yourself at that moment in time and you got to take it seriously. So, um, and, and not to mention it's getting dark, right? So we don't want to be, uh, cruising around in the dark, um, unsure of uh, what's going on with ourselves. So it's tough to tell what direction you came from. Um, and, uh, you could just make things worse for yourself. So you need to prepare to hunker down for the night. So you gather some materials, uh, to get a fire going. Do you, A, collect some dry pine cones, pine needles, and dry leaves? Or, B, collect some damp leaves and some large logs? I'm
0: going the dry stuff.
1: <laughs> yes, A, the dry nice. stuff. Large logs don't just catch on fire, unless they're part of a forest fire. But uh, large logs, it's, it's difficult to just light a log on fire. Yes. For those of you that's uh, never tried I, it. I,
0: <laughs> I tried it all
1: my years as a Boy Scout. I was like, okay, I want to make the go. largest fire known to man, and it, it didn't work out well. It always has to start small, right? So pine needles and uh, anything coated in sap, right? Sap is highly flammable. Uh, those are all good ways uh, making a making a fire. You know, for those of you that don't know, you gotta you gotta start small and let it grow uh naturally from its smaller drier stuff to the next level size to the next size to the next size right it's not rocket science but you can't just take your lighter and start trying to ke- light a log on fire it's probably not going to work out for you um okay so you pile up the uh you pile some sticks up into the shape of a tp and uh you know there's lots of lots of different kinds of fires out there you get lots of kindling you kind of put it up underneath the little teepee, if you will, of sticks and branches, and then you let it, you light the inside, and it kind of, the inside will light, and eventually the bigger stuff will light, and then before you know it, you got yourself a fire. The fire burns upward. Um, lighting from its lowest point gives the flames every opportunity to climb. Um, you know, there's no overstating the importance of uh, tender and uh, kindling, because those are the things that really get you going. And uh, so with the fire going, you have accepted that you're there for the night. So do you, A, curl up on the ground next to the fire and get some sleep, or B, build a lean-to next to the fire and sleep in that? Mm. I have two thoughts here, and so I'm going to have to make a choice. Yeah, yeah.
0: One, I don't want to be too close to the fire as I'm sleeping. Now, at the same time, my lean-to, I'm going to go with a lean-to. Okay.
1: Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. If you have the ability to build a shelter, you just should, regardless of the time you're there, because weather could change in a heartbeat. Um, It's at least somewhat of a barrier protection from, you know, animals and insects and everything else. And uh, probably the most important thing, which lends to your book, is that you have to be doing something so you might as well build a shelter right Mm -hmm. keep your brain active keep moving moving means you're staying warm um yeah there's a lot of reasons to build the shelter and uh, i think you yeah you definitely picked you chose wisely good um so you pile up some branches and some foliage onto your lean-to uh basically for those that don't know a lean-to is is basically one of the simplest shelters you can you can build. You can literally take a branch, find a long enough branch, strip it down, and then you're going to place it across from basically one tree to another. And then now that becomes a support beam. And then you're gonna go find a bunch of brush and you're gonna lean it against the support beam. And on the opposite side, you can kind of tuck yourself up in there and you've got yourself a very quick makeshift shelter. Now you can also do this with 550 cord, and a ground pad or uh, a tarp. 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 That's the word. Tarp. And you can do the same exact thing. So you can do lean-to that's with more of your natural setting or you can also use just off-the-shelf products and do it. Um, But they're good for a short stay and they're easy. So morning comes. You made it through the night. Now you need to figure out how to get out of there, right? Mm -hmm. So your cell phone still has no service and you Mm -hmm. need to get moving. Remember, the cabin... Is north, all right? So, do you a move in the same direction as the side of the trees that has no moss growth, or b move in the same direction as the side of the trees covered in moss?
0: Oh man, this one's
1: gonna. This one is a <laughs> for me. Well, here's but the first other thing. of all. This only works to... in certain areas, all right. So keep okay. that in mind, listeners. It's here's a, what it's I'm a gonna... general rule.
0: I'm going to write down to uh, switch phone carriers first. Make a <laughs> yeah. little personal note in this cell phone that doesn't have service. Yeah. Then I'm going to flip a coin and start walking. Uh, what's the <laughs> answer?
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll take it as uh, you didn't know that one. That's all right. We'll strike one against you, but you're still doing good because we're halfway through this. This nightmare of an adventure. Um, B move in the same direction as the side of the tree that actually has moss, Mm. right? So there's a lot of, uh, environmentals that come into play here. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, moss growth, moss growth can indicate, you know, north due to the, to the mosses. Uh, it's sitting in the shade is the simple way to put it. Right. And so, um, The shade is what promotes the moss growth. And so in certain forests, certain woods around the globe, and usually in the northern hemisphere is the other Mm -hmm. piece of the equation here, um, you can follow that rule. Or at least, you know, use it as a stepping stone to going in what you think is the right direction. (laughs) So Um, if my uh, South
0: America trip goes south, I need to just reverse this. In two weeks, if this plays out for
1: me. Yeah. In fact, I would just look up, hey, how do you find north in the southern hemisphere? (laughs) Sounds Uh, good. Orion's belt works, you know, from the equator down. You know, that might be a good one. Using stars. Yeah. Um, Okay. So, but, but generally speaking, it's important to see the pattern before jumping to conclusions, right? So, if you look around and really take in the environment and you see that moss growth on one side of the tree and not the other, then it's telling you something about sunlight, right? And that's really the goal knowing, you know, rises in the East and sets in the West. And, you know, we know that the Southern side of most, uh, whether it's a building or a forest, right, it's going to get the most sun, you know, and we're still talking about the Northern hemisphere. Um, and it's those factors is what allows you to generally say that, okay, Moss equals north, Mm -hmm.
0: right? Okay.
1: Okay. Uh, So now that you've been heading um, north for a while, according to the moss compass, (laughs) uh, you're getting thirsty and uh, you happen to come across a stream. All right. So do you, A, bend down and drink from the stream or B, dig a hole near the water's edge instead? Where am I? you are you're, you you basically found a stream okay you're heading north uh, and you can either drink directly from the water in the stream or maybe dig a hole I'm gonna at the dig. edge of the stream i'm going to dig
0: i hate to Damn. say it, i i broke this <laughs> every single day in alaska but i i i felt a little safer way up there um, Yeah. but i'm going i'm going dig
1: i mean you are at the top of the stream up there i mean right i mean by the time you're in like canada or even colorado a lot of stuff is peed in the water by the time it gets mm-hmm. to those points
0: <laughs> it is 80 percent urine in at that point yeah so i think when
1: you're in the arctic it's safe to say that you know it's probably pretty safe water to drink i mean is that true did you find out that that's somewhat true or, or what
0: yes we had uh zero problems with that now there was a one point where we um there was a beaver dam upriver, So we avoided that stream and just simply went to one that was coming off a glacier.
1: Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And you're, you're, and you're drinking direct, right? Or you're probably heating it up first, right? No, or we're some, just drinking direct, Just drinking straight. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, the, the river system we were in, which is called the no attack river system is the only river system in North America that has been unaltered by humans. So it's pretty, it's about as pristine as
1: uh, they get. Wow. So, yeah. No problems. That's cool. Cool. Well, you chose wisely. B, dig a hole near the water's edge. And the reason being is by digging the hole and letting it naturally fill is a filter in itself rather than drinking directly from the stream. Um, So I think that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, you know, if you're in very high, really high elevation, elevation, like we kind of hit on, or you're at the top of the world, (laughs) the water is probably somewhat pure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but in this case, you're not. So, you know, if you have to do a makeshift filter, um, digging a hole next to the stream is a, is a, is a good start. Um, and then of course you could stop and build a fire and boil it and really be safe. But, uh, it's kind of a hasty, quick filter digging a hole. Um, You can also use your sock and other pieces of clothing to soak up water and then, uh, you know, and then, you know, that can be the filter in itself. Um, so bottom line is you manage to get a little, a little bit of a drink and then you continue on your way. Suddenly a wild boar is now charging you. Okay. Oh. So do you a kick the boar in the face or B. <laughs> Uh, let's put this a little more, let's make this a little more entertaining. You, uh, you happen to be near, you're obviously in a forest near some trees. Mm -hmm. Um, so you, you quickly jump up, grab a limb and pull yourself up into a tree. So kick it in the face or jump up and climb a tree.
0: Mm. Well, since I can't guillotine it, I think I'm going to (laughs) choose tree.
1: (laughs) Tree. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bore what they call the hood, it's head and it's hood. Which is the thicker coat, the shoulders, the neck? I mean, you're talking about some bullets can't penetrate that, right? That's a tough animal. It's a tough animal, and kicking it's going to do you no good. And uh, (laughs) you're going to break break your foot and piss off a boar. (laughs) That's right. So, uh, yeah, it it takes a powerful round to uh, penetrate that cape in the head of a, of a boar if that's all you have to aim at. Now, of course, you know, its belly and uh, all of those other softer areas that you would be aiming for with a rifle, uh, you're basically going to be avoiding the cape. So anyway, um, yes, good idea. Climb the tree. Um, so, you know, boars, also it's good to keep in mind. Boars can get, you know, six feet-ish, so they can get big, right? So then, you need to make sure you go up the tree high enough so that it can't still reach you. Okay, Um, and uh, so yeah, just keep that in mind. All right. So the boar runs off because it's bored. It couldn't get to you, and it couldn't chew on your feet. Um, And uh, but now you're unsure of which way north is. So now we need to figure out which way north is again. So do you a head in the direction of the side of the trees with the most branches and leaves and overall growth or B head in the opposite direction in which you see the most branches, leaves, and overall growth.
0: To head North
1: to head North. Yeah.
0: I'm going to go with the least branches and trees.
1: So you're going to head in the opposite direction.
0: Opposite direction Okay. of
1: all the branches and trees. Got it, okay, so that is correct. Were you just guessing or did you know that? Uh, Kinda,
0: I sorta? guessed
1: based on the sun, <laughs> based on the direction of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so yes, B, head in the opposite direction in which you see the most branches, leaves, and overall growth. So people, next time you walk outside, look at a tree. Not just from one angle, look from all angles and you will notice that trees, no matter how symmetrical you think they look at first, they actually grow lopsided. Okay. Mm. And the reason being is because of the sun, like you mentioned, right? That's a good everyone, tip. Everyone, everything, we are all growing towards the sun's movement, right? And you have to keep that in mind. And you'll notice the same with uh, trees and bushes and, you know, anyth- anything else that relies on the sun. Um. So because of that lopsidedness, um, the side with the most branches and leaves and growth is the southern side of the tree, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because that's like we talked about, rises in the east, sets in the west. So the southern side of everything or anything is going to get the most sun. And so naturally, that's going to be the side that it, it leans towards, which means the opposite is north. Or at least it's a general rule once again. Mm -hmm. All (laughs) right. And then when you go to the Southern Hemisphere, things may change. Flip it. Okay. Yes. You continue on your way and you see a cell phone. Now you see the cell phone now has service. Sorry. Nice. Um, Do you A, text message several people and let them know where you are? Or B, call someone and let them know you need help?
0: Uh, I'm going to do text message because that is more likely to get out than a call. I think
1: that is, I, 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 I'm with you Um, SMS, the green bubbles. If you're not, if you're an iPhone user uh, green either means you didn't go through or it got sent as SMS Um, and SMS is, has the ability to get out. It it can travel um, in even remote areas. Um, but a phone call will ensure that there mm. is a sense of urgency and that you actually got that voice to voice. So your battery is full, right? Because you, mm-hmm. you kept it off. You turn it on; it has no signal. Now it has a signal, and you have the ability to call someone. Um, getting that voice to voice and getting that sense of urgency would be a good idea because in text sometimes you lose that. Mm. that so seems I would able- say. Yeah, Mm -hmm. both of these are kind of correct, but I would say your battery and signal dictates. If you had low battery then yeah sms all day long because that's not going to use up that much battery to, to mm-hmm. you know send a lot of exclamation marks and the word fuck, right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so but uh you got lots of battery might as well call and say yeah. hey i need help i don't know where i'm at i've got i hit i've got a head injury uh i, I think, think i've so, been yeah. going north because the moss was talking to me down the road there and yeah anyway yeah so if you have the ability to call someone, you should and uh, get that. And in- so, let's go with B. All right, okay. go with B. I
0: can see that. I can yeah. see that argument. I like it.
1: It's uh, yeah. The text is, you know, someone may not see it for a couple of hours, and that would suck for you, right? Yes. All right. So here we go. Last question. Um, text messaging. Uh, let's see here. Text messaging is uh, too indirect here, so you. Uh, we want you to call someone. Until you get the answer, right? So, you know, you want to uh, just keep going and going until you get help. Okay. So, last question: Do you a stay put and wait to be rescued, or b keep moving in the correct direction using your phone's compass, and then share your location with someone so that you can be found?
0: We're assuming that when I when I called them, I said, "This is where I am." I'm going with, I'm staying put.
1: Yeah, this is a, uh, both answers are correct moment. Okay. So in the, in any other survival scenario, it's pretty much stay with the wreckage, stay with the boat, mm-hmm. stay right. And you stay put. Um, and I agree with that. I think there's a happy combination of both here where, where you should share your location for sure. Right. You've talked to mm-hmm. someone, now you're sharing your location and then, yeah, use that compass on your phone to guide people to where you're at, right? Mm-hmm. Now that your phone's working, hell, you can even take pictures of what what, it, what does it look like due north? What does it look like due south, east, and west? And send those pictures because all the landmarks in those photos will definitely help rescuers, aircraft, and anything else to follow. Um, so, hey, good job. You did survive this podcast, it oh, Thank eight, God. eight out of ten, uh, even though the last one there was kind of two answers are correct kind of thing. So we'll call it a nine out of ten. So great job, buddy. Eight
0: point five seems fair. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I hoped you learned a couple of things. I hope that everyone listening learned a couple of things. Um, and uh, yeah, keep your cell phone with you. Technology is great in survival situations. Even if you're just trying to get away from it, you should at least keep the phone with you at the end of the day so that you have that lifeline. Um, so let's give our listeners uh, where they can find you, buy your book. So what well, we talked about the book thing, but where can they find you and uh, keep track of you and everything you got going on?
0: Well, now that I am now also a Moss whisperer after doing this uh, <laughs> yeah. podcast, um, you can find me at uh, eastermichael.com as my website. And in terms of the the socials, I'm on Instagram at Michael underscore Easter. And the book is available wherever It's called The Comfort Crisis.
1: So it was fun. Yeah. The Comfort Crisis. There you go. Go pick up a copy. Get yourself out of whatever lazy ass routine you're in and uh, take some of Michael's advice. Go to the Arctic, hump around, build a teepee, kill a caribou, whatever. Um, and like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And thank you for being on the show, buddy. That was a blast, man. Thank you. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.